This episode of Control Delete is brought to you by USAA. USAA is passionate about what they do, ensuring the financial security of the military community and their families. And as an employer, USAA creates conditions for employees to succeed. USAA is hiring for customer service reps, designers, developers, insurance, banking, and more. Visit them online and see over 200 jobs available. It's an organization that provides opportunities for you to collaborate, create, and lead. Find your purpose with USAA. Visit usaajobs.com and join the team. This episode of Control Athlete is brought to you by Toyota and their all-new 2017 Highlander. With its sleek, aggressive design, improved powertrain for better performance and fuel efficiency, plus advanced tech features the whole family will love, there's more to discover in the new 2017 Highlander. Visit toyota.com for details. Hello, and welcome to Control Out Delete, the thinking person's alternative. That intro, that's a good one, comes from Andrew Trelar on Twitter, at uh, A-T-R-E-L-O-A-R. We love your intros. Keep sending them to us. And I have to say, by the way, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Recode editor-at-large and Verge executive editor, Walt Mossberg. And I'm just going to tell the listener right now. Walt turned 70 this week. Happy birthday, Walt. Well, thank you, Neela. That is very exciting. Thank you, Neela. Yeah. You know, I can see the end coming. <laughs> I can Walt. see the end coming. Uh, I said to Walt, Walt told me he was, he's like, Colin's going to be a little late this week. I'm, I've been celebrating my birthday. So it sounds like quite a party. And Walt says, you only turn 70 once and then you die, which was <laughs> the most celebratory birthday <laughs> message I've ever heard. <laughs> But no, man, happy birthday. Well, thanks. No, it was a, actually a great birthday. And I mean, I got a lot of birthday greetings on Facebook, which is because, of course, Facebook reminds you when everybody's birthday is, <laughs> including maybe some people listening to this. So I will thank people here for those greetings. And let me just say that when we think, next time we ever do a piece about what are the killer features of of these companies, maybe I will do a piece on that. I think you could make a case that the killer feature on Facebook is not, you know, stories, certainly. Yeah. Not <laughs> uh, brands, not baby pictures. It's birthdays. Yeah. It's birthdays. I mean, it's like, would you switch to a different social network that did not have enough information to tell you when Literally everyone you've ever met's birthday is. No, I mean it's incre- it's literally it's the most valuable service it provides to me on a daily basis. Yeah, it's 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 unbelievable, and like whoever invented that ought to get the Facebook bonus of the decade. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, well, I have to say I am just very happy that I get to do this show with you. Me too. So I hope you enjoyed your birthday, and I'm glad that you came back from. I your did enjoy many, my many birthday, celebrations, and I managed to crank out a column anyway. So you know what can I say. Yeah, but, uh, you know, well, I'm going to be honest. It was a good column. We'll talk about it later, but totally overshadowed by the news. We are literally recording this hours after Samsung unveiled its much-leaked Galaxy S8. But the, right. the big launch event was today. I, I watched it. Walt, I'm sure you watched it. I watched it. Um, we had a bunch of people at the event. Dan Seifert actually went to Korea a few weeks ago to look at the phone, watch Samsung explode a battery. Uh, Dieter yeah. did a bunch of stuff. Lauren did a bunch we we have we have a bunch of coverage. That's Dieter on Bone, by the way. Dieter Bone and Lauren Good and but, Lauren Good. But um, we're not contractually obligated to say Lauren's name. 
Well, we have two Lauren, so I like to keep the people guessing. Did our space reporter cover the Galaxy S8? Who knows? But phones out. You know, the, the announcement was big. Samsung, uh, DJ Co. Uh, from Samsung came out on stage said, "Look, it's been a challenging year for Samsung," which is an understatement of the century. I mean, the, the phones exploded, and the, the the South Korean government is falling apart. Like a challenging year for Samsung. Well, their leader of Samsung was indicted and yeah. might be in jail. I think it might be in jail, or he was in jail. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so there, there's a lot, but the phone. I have to say, the phone looks great. Yeah, uh, I have to admit, uh, you you undoubtedly have seen one. Um, I've yet to see one, but uh, it looks great. And all I would say to that is, so did the Galaxy, so did the Note Seven. <laughs> the true. Note Seven looked great. Um, I believe I referred to it as beautiful or gorgeous or some words like that. Then so did uh, others on our staff and other, frankly our competitors and mm-hmm. everybody that reviewed it. And then it started blowing up at some later date. Yeah. So, and I actually think the two things on, in the case of the Note 7 were tied together because I have to admit right now that I don't entirely buy their explanation. I think their explanation is true, that the batteries caught fire and exploded. I think it's incomplete because I think the reason the batteries from two different companies, which they stressed had two different designs internally, both caused damage and failed, was because they were super over-aggressive in terms of the combination of their demand for power output from the battery and the enclosure they designed to make the phone look beautiful last year, the Note 7, for the battery. The enclosure some combination of the enclosure and the necessary size of the battery to meet the spec, I think, is what led to that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, technically it was the battery, but I think it, it went beyond that. So one thing uh, I'm just going to start off and say since everybody's thinking about the battery, I'm going to say two things. One is I note, and I'm sure you noted, and our stories all noted, that they're using smaller batteries or you know, not increasing the size of the battery for proportional to the increase in the size of the screen and the number of pixels that they are driving. And that means they're being very conservative about the battery. But as I think it was Dieter who noted, we don't know yet what that will mean for battery life. And, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable trade-off, safety and corporate reputation for a little less battery life, but we just don't know how much less. So that's one thing. The second thing I would say, and I said this on CNBC earlier today, is, you know, I this is something we sometimes say about other products for other reasons, but I think it makes some sense to wait a little bit, even if you're a Samsung fan or an Android fan, uh, for this, to, to buy this phone. And we're going to get into in a minute how expensive it is and other mm-hmm. things about it. It is but expensive. It's very expensive. But one reason to wait is, again, I hate to be suspicious, but Samsung has a lot of great qualities. I, too, have been to Korea. I, too, have been to their factories and their labs and seen their testing. In fact, I've been there, I want to say, three times. So I, you know, they're they're not some crappy fly-by-night company. On the other hand, I'm not sure that given, in, in the mix of all their priorities, the highest of which, when it comes to phones, they admitted, and they have actually said this to me privately in the past, is to beat Apple. Oh, they said it out loud to Dan. To Dan, yeah, I know. 
Uh, they said, well, to me, they only said it off the record. Mm-hmm. In fact, a former CEO of Samsung, I once asked him, well, how are you going to differentiate yourself from all the other Android phones? And he said, I don't, he waved his hand. He said, I don't care about any of them. I only care about Cupertino. But the point is, I just think they have a lot of priorities. The biggest one apparently is to beat Apple. That's fine. That's capitalism. That's good. But I'm not sure where quality control overall ranks in their set of priorities. Well, you know, they said today, you know, they they laid out their like three big themes and quality and safety were they were right up top. So Well, duh. Yeah. Eli, of course <laughs> they were. It's true. Oh, and uh, craftsmanship, I think was the, other, the third one. Yeah, I mean, well, they've had you know, the look, you can maybe separate design and craftsmanship, but they've had design going for them for at least the last two or three cycles. I mean, I can remember a time when their phones were not great looking or you know, had actually at one cycle they reverted to being really cheap feeling and looking. But, you know, the last few cycles they've made really nice, both in the Galaxy S and in the Note line, really nice looking phones. Uh, so they have good design. They're basically a hardware company. Uh, we know that. Uh, their software has always been weak compared to their hardware. So, you know, I, do, I would expect a great design. They did it last year and they have apparently done it again in this essay with the infinity, what do they call it? The infinity screen, which is curved and where they've managed to figure out how to put a bigger screen and a smaller footprint. They're not the first to do this and they've actually done a little bit of it on some earlier models. I fully expect Apple to do this on at least the premium of whatever range of iPhones they bring out this year. But they've done it, and they did it before um, Apple is coming out this year, and, and they deserve credit for that. So that's cool. I'm just still saying, wait a little bit. See if, you know, maybe, hopefully it will not ever have battery fires and explosions beyond the rare ones that happen to everybody with lithium-ion batteries. And so there wouldn't be anything specially dangerous about it from that perspective. But, you know, they are a very impatient company that tends to try a lot of wacky things just to try them. And I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure quality assurance has been very high on their list. Obviously, it's gotten higher. Yeah. Um, and well, it should. One would hope, anyway. Yeah. Well, no, it has. I mean, they're not stupid. They're really smart. And so I'm not predicting there will be anything bad. I'm just saying I would wait. Yeah, as a, before a few you, months. I mean, the phone. First of all, the phone starts at seven hundred and twenty dollars. At one at, at Verizon, it starts at seven fifty at AT and T. The same phone. Yeah, uh, and then obviously you know storage and whatnot will take you up from there. So it it, it is actually. I'm not sure. I could I could be wrong. I read our spec story. It didn't seem to have different storage amounts. It seemed to be sixty four, and that was it. But I could be wrong. I believe there's a one twenty eight. I'm not okay. All right. um, you know, it, because it's Samsung, every carrier gets a slightly different variant, and there's a different variants around the world with actually different processors in them. But the the real story here is the S8 720 full retail on Verizon, 750 full retail on AT&T and T-Mobile as well, uh, and then the Plus is uh, $840 uh, on Verizon. Uh, $850 in at t So this phone, just from the jump, is super expensive. So even, about, even disregarding about, the battery situation, right. if you're going to invest that much money, I would wait until reviews are out, until people, you know, in, until the, the shakedown period is over. Um, because it's, it's a lot of money 
like a it's a huge, lot of money. It's about, money. It's about. I'm just doing a little math quickly in my head. I think it's about seventy dollars more than the comparable prices last year for the comparable, the small and the bigger, or small, you know, smaller and bigger. Yeah, uh, it's about seventy dollars more on the smaller, and I think about seventy dollars more on the bigger. Maybe maybe it's a bigger delta on the bigger. So that and that's even if that's if you're an Android slash Samsung fan. If you're just looking for the best smartphone this year, you could even say, what's the rush? Wait and see what Apple does. If Apple sucks or if this seems better to you for uh, whatever uh, reason and, and it's perfectly possible it will be better, you know, you've got the advantage of uh, a little longer wait, you know, for even more sure that the quality is good and the battery life is good and all that. And now you know how it compares to the actual thing Apple's going to do. So there's kind of two levels of waiting, but I, I would definitely wait yeah. uh, at, at, at least a few months if you don't care about uh, comparing to Apple. And, uh, you know, Apple will probably do this in September, October. So it's not uh, that. By the way, just, not, to, just to clarify the, the storage and pricing, yeah, it, it has a memory card slot. So if you pay an extra 100 bucks. You get the Gear VR, you get premium headphones because uh, Samsung just bought Harman. So you get AKG headphones and you get a 256 gigabyte memory card. So it's a okay. little bit different than you might normally. There's like another package that you can get. But that's another 100 bucks. Yeah, so, yeah, but I'm saying that's – so the, the base price of this phone is expensive. And then the one that you probably actually want with the nice headphones and the Gear VR and the store, that's another 100 bucks. It's an expensive phone. But let's talk about the phone itself. Beyond the, yep. beyond the, are we worried if it's going to explode? I mean, like, Samsung has to deal with that. They are trying, right? That's why they invited all the outlets to Korea to tour the battery testing. They let Dan watch a battery explode. They're doing that work. Hopefully it pans out. I imagine they're, they're more cautious with the battery. I mean, this is the company. If this phone blows up, it's like, it's. It's curtains, right? Well, they still have washing machines. Oh, wait. <laughs> they, have nu- <laughs> they have nuclear reactors. Hopefully those not like – but so like let's just set that aside. In, in yeah. fairness to Samsung, uh, you know, I, I do think you should wait. But let's just set that aside for now. Let's talk about the phone. What about the phone? So I think putting a bigger screen and a smaller footprint is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think edge to edge – you know, I ha- I'd have to – have some experience with, does it affect how you hold the phone? Do you feel like you're blocking parts of the screen? Do you feel like you're getting oily fingerprints on parts of the screen instead of just on the bezel that you used to? But but by and large, I like that that idea a lot. I mean, I think that's a, it looks great. And um, it's certainly, you know, anything, look, phones do everything they do through a piece of glass in your hand. And if they can make that piece of glass bigger without making holding the phone uh, more of a stretch, literally and figuratively, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a great thing. And that's to me, that's like the biggest thing here. There's a bunch of other things we can, we're going to touch on, but that's the greatest, the biggest thing. And I've been in my, you know, whenever I touch on the iPhone, I've been saying. Apple needs to get rid of those bezels. Yeah, and uh, Samsung, they were very direct. They, you know, in their presentation, they said no one, no one ever looks at their phone and remarks at how beautiful the bezels are, which, right, that's, that's where the iPhone is, especially the the, the larger plus iPhone, is that's it's just a big thing, right? And it, and it's not only the side bezels; it's the top and bottom bezels, which Samsung 
didn't couldn't entirely for there must be some technical reason they couldn't entirely get rid of them, but they're much smaller, so small that they had to get rid of the physical home button. Yeah, which is not so unusual in Android phones anyway. But they've apparently done what Apple did last year, which was to you know make it uh, give it some kind of haptic feedback, so it still felt like hitting a button instead of just hitting an icon. Right, and they've moved the fingerprint sensor to the back. Actually, mm, yeah, just unlocking this phone is yeah. There's a lot of there's like four ways to do it. Three ways right. To do so it. you can do Iris, mm-hmm. which um, I was when I was watching the thing and reading our live blog, and then I watched also our supercut that showed you the whole thing in 10 minutes, uh, including the bizarre dance of the <laughs> deeply <laughs> weird middle <laughs> managers or whatever that was <laughs> at the end. <laughs> dance of the Samsung middle manager is a great. Right. That's perfect. Yeah, I think that was a, that's actually a ballet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, but I know, but I was thinking the iris thing and, and I don't know enough about it to know if it's super secure. I think they said it was well, maybe yeah, so that was, the fingerprint and the iris are the higher security. The higher security. Um, so, I mean, the, if you look at movies... Then there's a face unlock that is lower right. security. So if you look at movies now, so the movie uh, writer's idea of how you get into rooms at the CIA building is always an iris. It used to be a handprint, mm-hmm. fingerprint. Now it's an iris. So I think people will think, well, this must be secure. This is pretty cool. And for all I know, it is really super secure. Yeah. So that's great. That's a cool thing. And uh, they still have fingerprint. Those, Like you said, those are the two most secure things, biometric things. I worry a little bit about – I'm kind of used to putting the fingerprint sensor on the back. The Pixel did a good job of that. And I thought it was a little weird at first, but I got used to it. However – this one is small and right next to the camera lens, yep. which has a little bit of a bump to it, so that might help. But I think, at least speaking for myself, I can imagine you know just landing my finger on that lens, my oily finger on that lens, yeah, a lot. Yeah, uh, it's very strange, and you know they're obviously Samsung Pay is actually doing quite well um, in, in the grand scheme of attachment rates to. To Samsung devices. And you can't use the face unlock for it because the face unlock is not secure enough to authorize a payment. So you have to use the, fi- the touch. So you either got to use that or you got to use the retina. And I just cannot imagine pointing the camera at my eye and then paying every time I pay. So, you know, you're going to engage that fingerprint sensor at, le- at least a couple of times if you use the payment f- feature. And that, that to me is the, you know, the, that, just that, that camera thing. And plus I'm left-handed. So it's going to be a little bit more awkward. Yeah, but, that, that's right. It's the it's the other side of the camera. Yeah. So um, so that's good. And then they have the face recognition, which from the video I saw on our site looked yeah. really fast. So D- Dieter has used it. He tells yeah. me it's very fast. Uh, there's the one test that everybody wants to do, uh, which is to hold up a photo and see if that unlocks the phone. I know. And, and yet we sent Dieter uh, to do the, to test this thing. Without an eight by ten glossy. Yeah. I mean, well, I got to start just packing Dieter off with eight by ten glossies of his own face. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I mean, I travel with them. I don't know. I do. I know you do, and and and, and um, uh, I travel with like videos of myself. Yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, and and actually, uh, you know, this is not many people know this, but I have an inflatable version of myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Walt makes a quick escape. 
<laughs> Walt's. Oh my God, he left his his inflatable Walt here. Right. He's gone. Yeah, I'm. Wor- yeah. I'm working on. I'm working on uh, uh, automated voice <laughs> in it, so I can do this podcast. Yeah. Without being there. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So we don't know if you can fool the face recognition. I think it's good that Samsung admitted it's. It's not. It's the least of the three biometric secure things. And then, of course, there is also a passcode or passphrase yeah. or, and as on all the Android phones, a, a, a kind of design thing you can draw. So there are a multitude of ways you can you can get in, and I rate that as good. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, again, one of the reasons to wait is maybe some security company is going to come out and say, Never, ever use the face recognition thing. We know you're going to want to do it, but don't do it, and here's why or something. I don't know. Or somebody well, will I mean, just the, spoof it. Just somebody the very basic it. thing, right? People are, you know, security researchers are saying when when you travel through the airports and TSA is um, and Homeland Security are being so aggressive about searching your phones, turn off your fingerprint sensor because they, they can't compel you to give them your password. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they can say touch your phone. If they can just point your phone at your face and unlock it, that's that's not great. So, I mean, there's... There's literally things like that to consider here. Right, but, but from the point of view of just Samsung giving you choice yeah. in a phone and advanced technologies that are choices, I give them a good mark on that. I mean, what you do with it in terms of airport security is up to you. Yeah, and I think um, it, ultimately if what they're getting at is more phones will get locked, that is good, right? That I is mean, good. That, that, that is good, that, and, that's a and good I, I have to assume that for all of these things, you you are going to have to set up a, a passcode or a passphrase to even – allow these things to work because you need a backup if yeah. they don't work. What the face recognition needs is if, if you are making a certain face, it erases the phone. <laughs> so if you if you are f- sticking your tongue out, the, the phone erases itself. Yeah, or you could <laughs> you could be creative, I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean it's, What's your resting face, Neil? Yeah, That's a exactly. question, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you if you look if you look a little panicked, the phone just shuts itself off. Uh, so there's that, and then unlike almost every other company, they did not uh, do something crazy with the cameras. So obviously, last year uh, with the iPhone Seven, Apple went to two cameras and the Plus. LG has two cameras now. Google made a big show with the Pixel, says it's the best camera. I love the camera in my Pixel, uh, but Samsung holding steady, basically the same camera as the S7, some software tweaks. Uh, but the front camera now autofocuses, which is nice, and obviously has a face recognition. Um, it's a tiny bit, tiny bit higher megapixel rating, which probably isn't discernible. But I think it went from seven to eight. But I mean, um, I, I think everyone kind of realizes now that the front camera actually creates as much, if not more photography than the rear camera right i mean well so it's sort of who you are and what you want to do but yeah you're absolutely right and so autofocus for selfies uh or whatever else you're doing with the front camera is great um and then on the software side um i think the highlight feature if you want to call it a highlight is samsung's new assistant bixby which is a just a hilarious name to me for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, this seems really interesting to me. They're they're trying to get it, make it easier to use the phone. Bixby, uh, but but it has a female voice, by the way. Yeah, but you can, you can change. So it. that doesn't even. Add, I mean, I know you can change it, but it's just like what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because when you th- what do you think of when you think of Bixby? Bixby, it's some I, I like literally British think of butler, a, right? Yeah, I think of a dog, a dog in a butler costume. I, yeah. That's it. There's no. There's no, literally nothing else. That's what yeah. I think of. Uh, Bixby is a. It's actually three different things. There's the we can make you, you know, 
there's the we can help you control your phone. So you can say, show me all the photos from this place. Right. Uh, and it'll do that. That's called Bixby Voice. It works in Samsung's apps. Um, then there's this one to me is the strangest one. Uh, there's it, they're calling it Bixby Vision, where you can point it at stuff and it'll bring up Amazon results, um, which is. But I don't know. How but you've been able to be. do that with the Amazon app on the iPhone for quite a while. Yeah, you have. I mean, I mean you know what is interesting to me? This is the first time. I mean, I've maybe seen... this does it better or works on more generally. But there's there's been a way to scan a product on the store shelf. Sure, with but it's the built into an app. This is the first time I've seen a phone maker recognize the fundamental reality that we are surrounded by like QR codes and stuff. Yeah. All day long, and a system level feature of the phone should yeah. be no, it's a to good recognize idea. something. But it's weird because it doesn't search Google. It, it you know they, their partnerships are with Amazon, Vivino, and Pinterest. So Vivino. it's all things you want to buy. It's yeah, it's it's you can. So it's controlling the phone and helping you buy things. Yep. And, and then the third, the, thir- third one is this weird Google Now, and Google Now has been mostly deprecated, but it's a weird clone of Google Now, where it's it's Bixby Home. And it's basically like if you use Uber every morning, say, the phone will recognize it and provide you like an Uber card. If you save an article for later when you get home, the phone will like be like, do you want to read this? Like, oh, it's nice. Google now. I mean, it's it's the same yeah, idea. Yeah, it is. This idea has been uh, – what was Siri Proactive, I think was what Apple called their riff on it. Yeah, um, Apple has had this kind of thing. And, yeah, So, but and this is their – so Samsung's – idea of an assistant to me is, is really interesting because it's not supposed to do – and we've talked about assistants in this show so much. It's not trying to do this all-encompassing voice AI thing. It's actually trying to make the process of just using the thing in your hand a little bit easier and simpler. Well, I, I actually – so I think that's good and unsamsung like mm-hmm. It's unsamsung like for them not to try to swing for the fences every time, even when their chances of you know succeeding are, are low. It's unsamsung like to do a, uh, th- this is with software now I'm talking about, uh, to do a, to set a, a goal for yourself that is fairly realistic and something that is uh, doable by a company that isn't a big platform company like the companies it competes with in the Google Pixel and the, and the iPhone. And so I, I, give them a, I give them a lot of credit for that. But I also think it shows you that they desperately really do want to be a software platform company of some kind. And this is an old, old story. I mean, it happens every time they bring out one of these phones. There is, I understand from our reporting, uh, still in the dark, re- I think I'm, lifting that phrase right from one of our stories. In the dark corners of the settings app on this phone, you can still find a whole bunch of weirdo <laughs> Samsung yeah. software that failed in the past. They um, Actually, the truth is that on the ill-fated Note 7, they had already begun to hide it. They didn't kill it, but you know, like the thing that automatically scrolled could supposedly see your eyes where they were or pause a video when you looked away and it worked about half the time, that kind of stuff. Um, that's apparently still somewhere on the phone, but they knew enough even last year to just you know get it out of the way and emphasize other things. Um, so I'm going to want to see, do they still have duplicate browsers and duplicate texting apps? And you know they used to have a duplicate video and 
music players and I, I don't know if they still do or if that went away with the milk. Oh service, no, there, it's the all bizarrely there. named milk the, service. The default browser on the phone is still called browser. It's not Chrome. I mean, it's yeah. You know, the so Sam, I mean, Samsung's ability to be Samsung has not waned. It's just gotten more restrained. Yeah. So that's what to me. If I go back and read my reviews of their phones, that's been one the things. Uh, one of the thing or the main thing that has bothered me is they can't accept that they're an Android phone and maybe make. You know, like this Bixby is a good idea, a good a good example of an improvement. They still have Google Assistant on there, I think, or will. They do. And but they have Bixby that is more attuned to their own phone and its own its own. But I think know, that's where it features. should go. I mean, no, no, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Android vendors forever has been stop monkeying with this interface because that none of you have ever done a good job skinning Android. But you, they still need to add value, and it's been so hard to see where one of these OEMs is going to add value to the phone beyond just like you know the camera or like the physical design, and they've all struggled. And I think something like Bixby, which is so important to Samsung, it has a dedicated button on this phone, which is just really yeah. saying something. No, no, that's right. Um, if this is the phone that is easier to use because you, Samsung built a system where you can just talk to it to operate it. Well, that's like a real value add to the Google ecosystem, but it has to work, and I think there's, there's it has to work, and that's there. another reason to wait a little while because, yeah. as good as we are, and we are the best, <laughs> uh, indeed, there are a few scattered other worthwhile reviewers here and there, but you know we can't tell you whether this stuff holds up over any period of time just a few hours after they announce it. Or, uh, and importantly, whether they're going to stay committed to it. I mean, Samsung also, and this is just on the periphery of it, they rolled out a new Wi-Fi mesh router system called Samsung Connect Home. They talked about how you're going to be in the grocery store and you're going to point your Galaxy S8 at some food and your Samsung refrigerator's camera will light up and through Samsung Connect you'll be able to look inside your refrigerator and oh, Bixby God will help save you. me from refrigerator I mean, stuff. This is this is where they're at. I mean they, they have this expansive vision of everything Samsung doing talking to one platform uh, and their assistant helping you now na- and it's not it is the dream like that is the sci-fi well, it's dream. It's a very of the hard thing to the, it's a very hard thing to create an ecosystem if you're not one of the five big platform companies, or if, or if you don't somehow set your sail uh, and spend a, a gigantic amount of money, which they could possibly do to become one, they're essentially trying to become a platform company through hardware. And you know, you could say Apple has done that, uh, but Apple started doing that 40 years ago, and has a mix of hardware and software that helps it do that. Samsung is still, however great Bixby is, uh, if it is, uh, you know they they did hire the guys that invented Siri, so uh, maybe it will be good. But they don't have a whole ecosystem of software, a whole ecosystem of services that people really want to use and do use to go with the hardware, which you know, sadly for them, has recently had its own problems. So, yeah, if you own Samsung appliances and if, and, and if you own uh, SmartThings, which is a company they bought, devices, IoT devices, and then you buy this router hub thing and then you buy this phone and you're really living in Samsung world, then all this makes sense. And it's aspirational for them. 
I'm not sure it's aspirational for consumers, though, because they may live in Android world, but that's really Google world. Right. They don't think – I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I still hear people holding a Samsung phone or an LG phone say – and I say, what kind of phone is that? I know what it is, but I'm just trying to you know, make mm-hmm. a conversation and learn something. And they say, oh, it's a droid. I mean, to them, it's – or it's a Google. I mean, to them, it's about Google and Android and not about Samsung, and that's a big barrier to overcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think the the big question here is, again, obviously Samsung has a big marketing push ahead of it, and they've got to, you know, get around the battery thing. There's just no... There's no avoiding it. it I, I, there's no, I didn't read a single headline today from us or any of our competitors. I didn't see a single tweet at the beginning of the event that wasn't that didn't somehow reference the Note Seven. It's there. I mean, people yeah. literally on flights for months heard that the Note Seven was not allowed because it might explode. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just a part of the fabric of of our society for a minute that this phone exploded. So they've got to get through that. And then I think they've got to do the thing that, that you are identifying, which is if they're going to take the leap and become the big software platform company, they have to stay committed to it. And, you know, Samsung rushing out a half-baked idea that's good for marketing the phone that doesn't work and then giving up on it and burying it in settings, that's a cycle they've been in for a long time. Mm-hmm. So well, we'll see. But this looks like, to me, I think the bar – Again, you have to set aside the battery. It's like a very it's a very big thing to do, but just do it. If you set that aside, to me this is among the the most advanced phones we've ever seen. It has a big idea about what the design of the screen should do. Oh, what, one very nerdy thing about this screen that I love um, is that it is mobile HDR. So if you watch Netflix or Amazon or any of these other partners, the screen actually gets brighter. It's like also a strange TVs. aspect ratio though. Yeah, it's 18 by 9. And so that makes it kind of a it's not exactly skinny, but it's kind of a funny shape. Yeah, it's tall. Um, but like, so, but that's like no, an no, no. interesting look, idea about how look, these things should work. Look, before we move on in this in this app, let's just agree. Yeah, looks like a good phone. The last gal, uh, the the last Galaxy S, which was the Galaxy S seven, which was not the one that exploded. Although it's going to be hard for people to understand that because it says Samsung Galaxy and then it goes on and uh, to talk about. You know that it was a note. That's the one that exploded. This was not a note. That uh, that this is this is really the successor to a phone that was not the one with the exploding battery. I mean, sequentially, it's the immediate next big deal Samsung phone, but it's really a successor to a phone that, as far as I know, had no particular safety problems, uh, and it looks good and it's classy looking and and feels good and. Um, I don't think it's a dramatic leap in phone design or technology, but they didn't need to do that necessarily. They, they, really, what their goal had to be was to say, hey, we can build a, a phone you'll love and that you can rely on. Yeah. And, I think it's – we'll see. And it, it, there's nothing we saw today other than the ballet of the middle managers to <laughs> to make you say, wow, these guys are, uh, are you know off base. So we'll just have to wait and see, and I think we'll return to the subject. This episode of Control Walt Delete is also brought to you by Vivint Smart Home. Not long ago, the term smart home simply meant a remote-controlled home. But now there's a company that's worthy of the intelligence that the title smart home implies, Vivint Smart Home. As the number one smart home provider in the United States, Vivint Smart Home is already used by more than a million customers and counting. 
with all the smart cameras you'll need from indoor, doorbell, and outdoor wireless security cameras to smart thermostats, locks, and voice-controlled Amazon Echo, you won't believe how many unexpected conveniences Vivint offers. Whether you're traveling or in the middle of a busy day, you can easily adjust your thermostat, lock, and unlock your doors, check the live feed of your cameras, all right from your phone on Vivint's 4.5-star rated app. Best of all, you get award-winning, around-the-clock professional security monitoring, which may help you qualify for a 15 to 20% discount on your homeowner's insurance premiums. And with Vivint's free customized smart home consultations and free professional installation, getting a smart home is simple and easy. With all the benefits that the Vivint smart home and security system offers, it's no wonder they are the number one smart home services provider in the United States. Go to vivint.com walt to learn more. That's V-I-V-I-N-T dot slash walt. But while technology was rolling on, so was Congress. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should talk about this. Uh, I think both of us are really uh, – I think our listeners know we pay attention to the government, both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so this it's an interesting winding road. So just, just bear with me for 30 seconds while I go through it. So in 2015, Congress passed the net neutrality rules, which fundamentally meant internet providers would be regulated like the old telcos were. Right, same rules, common carrier, and what most people focused on, obviously, was no blocking, no locking. You know, internet providers can't throttle your traffic; they can't prevent net you from seeing things. Net yeah, neutral, the, net, the core of what we think of as net neutrality, and right. that came out of the authority they got under Title II. The FCC also, by classifying them under Title II, got authority to uh, impose some privacy regulations on the ISPs. Uh, which previously they they didn't have the authority and those regulations didn't exist. Uh, And the ISPs had done all kinds of weird things on the edges and kind of gotten in trouble and stopped. Uh, But the FCC said, and these are really basic rules. If you want to collect and share the personal data of your customers, they have to opt in. It's not opt out, right? You have to ask for permission and get it from your customers. If there's a data security breach, you have to tell people uh, it's just like really basic stuff. There are kind of right. four basic parts of it. So they impose these rules. They say, okay, we we under Title II, we have the authority to to, to impose privacy rules on on UISPs. They are the same kinds of rules that you know the telephone companies have long been under. This shouldn't be too hard for you. Uh, the rules had not yet gone into effect. Obviously, Trump wins. Uh, Ajit Pai says, I'm halting the imposition of these rules. In Congress, this is very wonky. There's an act. Of, there's a congressional a resolu- review act. a resolution. There's a, but there's there's an act that says Congress, within a Congress certain period of time, rigs. Yeah. Uh, can go back and undo something if they don't like it. But if some time passes. That an, so, agency, that so an they, agency is done. That yeah. an agency is done. So they rush forward to repeal. And, you know, it's just the name of the thing. Under right? the with, presume, – not presumably, having been lobbied by the ISPs. Oh, yeah. Ha- having Major Having accepted lobbying. campaign contributions from the ISCs, ISPs. And, and by, who do we mean by the ISPs, by the way? It could be, you know, I don't know, Jackson, Wyoming, local ISP. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be – but mostly it's AT&T, Verizon – Comcast, which here's we have to disclose, have to Com- disclose Comcast is a, uh, has a minority stake in Vox Media, which is the company we work for, uh, which which uh, uh, pays us. Yeah, uh, Comcast, uh, Verizon. I already mentioned Verizon, but you know who, whoever it is that is supplying your internet right. uh, to you. So, and, and there's that's a big deal, I think. Well, I, I take this from you all the time. You always say the broadband companies 
the telcos, they hate being telcos. They want to be some other kind of company. They, they're, they're ashamed of the business they run. That's exactly right. And so all of them, uh, AT&T is buying Time Warner. They already bought DirecTV. Verizon is buying AOL and Yahoo. I mean, it's, it's, the Comcast well, bought NBC. Well, I think it's really important that Verizon is buying AT&T. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm saying but so they're all making this shift to where they own the pipes – they're going to start owning more and more of the content that goes onto the pipes. Not just the content. Verizon. Yeah, Verizon. So he, Verizon is – here's the thing. I have been a customer of Verizon Fios since the very early days of Verizon Fios, which is a very fast home wired broadband service um, and actually very reliable. I'm very happy with it. It's actually reasonably priced. Um, it's not – it's the customer service is good. It's nothing to do with Verizon. Well, it's not nothing to do with it, but I mean, it's somewhat separate from Verizon Wireless, where I think the customer service is not so great. Um, but FiOS is good. And having said that, the company that decided to start putting fiber right to homes and create really fast internet, which is what FiOS is, that company, Verizon, is now decided that it also wants to be not just a content company yeah. like Comcast. An ad tech in, company. But an ad tech company, a company which is going to have a significant revenue stream from advertising, which means collecting data about you right. and then beaming ads at you. So this is very disturbing to me as a because I'm a pretty I'm a very loyal Fios customer. I've written very good things about it. I've recommended it to a lot of people. Uh you know, I kind of split it in my mind. I'm also a Verizon Wireless customer, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to being a customer of AT&T and T-Mobile, because like all idiotic geeks, we have multiple <laughs> phones and plans, <laughs> different carriers. But, you know, my main daily driver phone is, is a Verizon Wireless phone. And when I come home, my internet access is provided by Verizon. That's fine when I thought their principal interest was in providing internet access, broadband, wired and wireless. Now I find they really want to become an ad tech company. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and that's why they bought AOL. I mean, I used to That's why work. they bought AOL, and that's why they're trying to buy Yahoo. Yeah. And so, yeah, there, is there content there? Yes, there's content. Well, so what I was going to say is this term – the way you make money on content is advertising, right? I mean, it's there's the you can pay for HBO, but the vast majority of content in this world is subsidized by advertising. So, you become this content company. You start putting the the, the stuff out there in the world. You want to put ads next to it. You look on the internet, and the 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 two companies that are dominant, by far dominant in internet advertising are Google and Facebook. The right. reason that they are dominant is because they have massive ad networks. This is the reason that. You know, you are on your desktop computer and you Google for a couch, uh, and then like five days later, you're browsing an app on your phone and you see an ad for a couch. Like those networks are big; they do a lot of tracking. They are problematic. We've talked about why they're problematic, but whatever. They have them. Um, Verizon is looking at that and saying, "We want to compete with that too. We're just going to track the people on our network. We have a huge network, right? Verizon has hundreds of millions of people on its network." We're just going to track them without asking them and then serve them ads with the content that we serve them from AOL and Yahoo. Uh, I used to work at AOL. AOL, uh, under Tim Armstrong, who's the CEO, uh, just bought like dozens of ad tech companies. That's what they bought. That's, yeah. That was the major investment of AOL under, under Tim Armstrong and remains the case to this day. He tried to buy Recode. 
He did. <laughs> the best ad tech company of them all. <laughs> no, but I mean. Yeah. But like that, yeah. but that's the game. And so what's interesting is the the way this argument breaks down is is in two ways. There's sort of what we're getting at, which is these broadband providers, you, they need rules. And then there's the other way, which I I accept. I just think it's a little short sighted. These rules didn't exist. They weren't in place yet. Why are you reacting so strongly to, to a harm that has not yet happened? Right. Because it interferes with their business plans. Because it interferes. And these with their congressmen plans. are weak. And, and, and we ran a post today. Where, you know, all the, all the money that has been shelled out to Republican congressmen. Here's the here are the all Congress people that voted for this. Yeah. No, no, I, I I agree with you, and I think it's actually in a funny way more dangerous. I'm not defending Google and Facebook here. There's plenty to criticize about them and their ad practices, including recent stories about you know companies wanting to pull out of uh, YouTube advertising on YouTube because Google can't seem to figure out a way to keep the ads of, you know, a mainstream big brand company off a hate site. I don't even know why they have these hate video channels on YouTube, but they do. It's a more fundamental question, it seems to me. But if they're going to have them, neo-Nazi, anti-Semitic, racist, whatever they are, you know, um, Budweiser doesn't want to be on there. Volvo doesn't we don't want to be on there. So Google says, okay, well, you, we'll make sure you're not on there. But then they don't. They can't. And they say, oh, well, we haven't, we're not quite there yet. And so what some of these companies are doing, just withdrawing from advertising on YouTube altogether. Maybe they'll come back if Google yeah. figures it out. So it's not that Google is perfect or Facebook is perfect. Far, far from it. I think your ISP is a much more dangerous co- company to be an ad tech company that doesn't have uh, the maximum amount of government oversight because they can tell what you're watching on television. They can tell uh, really everything you're doing. Uh, you know, Google can tell what you're searching for. Facebook can tell a whole lot about what you're doing on social media. Uh, they can track you to some extent across the web. But your ISP, my God, I mean, they can theoretically know everything. Yeah. And this so... This is dangerous people. I don't care what your political party is. I honestly don't care whether you love Donald Trump, whether you consider yourself part of the so-called resistance. I really don't care. You're, if you care at all about your privacy and your, you know, some shielding from being surveilled by somebody, you need to take some political action. Yeah. And you need to take some personal protective action and and I wish I could tell you the perfect solution I think one thing to do is to use a VPN Mm -hmm. which we can explain sometime virtual private network Uh, for those people listening to this who don't know it's kind of a tunnel through the internet that Kind of makes it hard for them yeah. to figure out who. But it's you not an are. end all be all, right? I mean, you, now but you're just letting an another company all. look at all your traffic. Oh no, there's multiple things you have to do. You have to do that, and then another thing I've seen uh, just on so, on Twitter since this uh, vote came up in the Congress is use a DNS that is not the DNS of the uh, internet provider, and a DNS is like a routing mm-hmm. number that helps you get your request to go see uh, The Verge or some other website or some other thing on the internet uh, and helps get you there. And Google maintains its own. Now, you know, it's Google, so it's not it's not the little sisters of the poor. It's Google. But um, 
it's not your ISP. You, you're, it would make it harder. I don't, I don't personally know whether these two things, even in combination, are a foolproof way to get around this, but they certainly, they certainly help, help hide who you are, not maybe hide it from a determined government uh, surveillance effort, but from the everyday algorithms that um, AOL and Yahoo and Verizon will put in place might yeah. work. Imagine Google did something terrible, right? And they started invasively tracking you. Let me see. Can I imagine that? I mean, it's not that hard <laughs> to imagine. But imagine they did that. Yeah. What would what would Walt and I say to you on this show? You would say, stop using Google. C- cancel your Google account and use DuckDuckGo or use mm-hmm. Bing or right. whatever. Just like stop using it. If Verizon starts doing something terrible, it's actually really hard for me to tell you to go get another ISP. Um, in many cases here in New York City, you probably don't have another choice. So the amount of competition in the market that keeps Google honest or Facebook honest or whoever else honest often doesn't exist for the ISPs. It exists a little bit more for the mobile ones, um, but even that's harder than I think it should be. But well, in the U.S., you get basically four choices. And by the way, if you think you have 14 choices, those other 10 are just names for companies that rent out. Yeah, the networks or their subsidiaries or whatever, Um, but particularly for wired broadband, which is still the most you have cost effective way to get internet. You have either one choice or, in some cases, two choices. And and that other one might be way slower than the first one, right? Or it might be Verizon. I mean, so for instance, where I live in the suburbs of Washington D.C., I know this sounds like we're in the same room, or at least I hope it does, but we're not. Neil <laughs> so we got, our fa- we got our fancy new audio pipe between the two studios. We do. Uh, so where I live, the principal uh, uh, ISP, uh, home ISP, fixed broadband is uh, Comcast. Mm-hmm. But you can also get Fios, and I think a few areas around here have a thing called RCN. Sure. Very, very small one. Yeah. Comcast and Verizon, I, I mean, you know, we just talked about Verizon being an ad tech company. I don't know what Comcast is doing with ad tech, uh, but it certainly has a content arm. It certainly is involved in caring about, uh, you know, knowing what its what its subscribers are doing. I'm not saying it's any worse than anyone else. Uh, it may not even be as aggressive as others, but the point is, all of these guys are going to want to get into this. So, yeah. yeah. This is a bad thing happening. It's just that you can either – and I think it's actually Tom Wheeler, the former chairman of the FCC, who said you can either have wide open competition or you can have regulation, but you have to have one or the other. And I I think just for internet access, most people, most citizens of the country are aware that there's not a lot of – you can tell what when competition's working. The quality of products goes up. The prices go down, right? right? Like – it, it, it exists all over the it, phones. We talked about phones the first hour of the show. Uh, phones are really good now because there's there's just furious competition between Apple and Google and Samsung and whoever else. Uh, but there's not that, I think, for Internet access. And I think this this move by Congress is very, very short-sighted because all of these companies are shareholder-driven they see a new income stream that is set reselling user data to do better targeted advertising at massive scale to compete with Google and Facebook, and they're going to take it. And to walk it back, 
you know, the government is going to have to look at Verizon and say, well, you built a business around this rule not existing, a billion dollar advertising business around this rule not existing. And now we're going to impose the rule and that business is going to be harmed in some way. And that is very, very difficult to do. Yep. I, I agree with you. Um, I think it's uh, we need to move off this, but yeah. um, I think it's fair to note because people are already typing this uh, who are listening. Um, they're already getting ready to tweet mean things at us. The, the, there are other avenues for the FCC and maybe even the FTC to impose or enforce some some limits on this, uh, particularly because these rules never went into effect and there already were some other rules that were weaker. Uh, I think they're weaker and I don't think the Trump FCC, I don't know about the FTC, but but probably both are not going to be anxious to do that. So, yeah. All right. Just On another to day in DC paradise. <laughs> just another day. That's actually what Trump said when the. Do you, do you, I don't know if you saw this. He gave a quote to I think it was the Times after the healthcare bill filled. He literally ended the conversation by saying, "Just another day in paradise." Yeah. Just amazing. Um. On to the thing that this this show is is ostensibly about, which is your column, right? <laughs> which well, we've got in about fairness, ten minutes. We should get we, into we, it. We planned, yeah, to do it this way this week. So we did, but I mean, you can't you, you can't ignore these two things. They're the biggest news in tech in my mind. But your column this week, actually, you you have a bunch of old columns about email clients. We we could have done a whole hour, and it would have been a great show. But the the, the news is the news. But email, you wrote about email this week, and you're saying it's not going away. Yeah, it's a little bit like um, you know Jerry Seinfeld in his peak, uh, just noticing things that everybody knows but nobody thinks about. And I just got to thinking about why is email still around uh, in 2017 when really you're not doing that much personal communicating on email. And I realize there's always an 80-20 rule, so there's some people I think for instance, somebody pointed out to me today a lot of seniors still do personal correspondence on email, and that's fine. I'm not criticizing anyone who does, but for most of us, not just millennials, but you know, way up through the age cohorts, it, you're not doing much personal correspondence on email anymore. You're doing it on some form of shorter messaging or less formal messaging. So you're doing it on SMS as a base, or maybe you're doing it on WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, iMessage, you know, Twitter, you know, you're, you're arguing with people about stuff on Twitter, which you might use, have argued people uh, with people about on, on email, and you're doing it, you could be doing Twitter DMs, if it's a work thing, which used to be done in these giant email chains, you're probably doing it in Slack. Uh, or some similar competitive, uh, what's Microsoft's, used to be Yammer, but mm -hmm. now it's called something else, Teams. Yeah. Is that the name of it? Uh, so Microsoft has one, uh, other people have them. Uh, these are sort of giant chat rooms or messaging services that are protected and internal and where people discuss. For instance, we, how did we decide what we were going to discuss today. This was a high level of organization for us, by the way. And, <laughs> it really was. Am I right? Yeah. Because <laughs> we actually we had a discussion. And, and, and we said, we're going to open with the Samsung phone. We're going to talk about the ISP tough, and then we'll talk about your email com. So we did that in Slack. We did not do that in email. But I think 
six, seven years ago, we probably would have done it in email. Anyway, email is, people have been predicting it's dead. It's not dead. It's still there. So why is it still there? Uh, you know, I led the column by pointing out that in 1998, a big name feature film written by the very famous writer Nora Ephron starring Tom Hanks and the queen of rom-coms in those days, Meg Ryan, did pretty well with a theme that people fell in love via email. And the email they were using was AOL email, and it was widely featured in the movie uh, that AOL announced that you got new email by saying, you've got mail, audibly, coming out of your computer. And it shows them super excited and you know st sitting, racing over the computer or sitting upright in their seats when you've got mail comes through. And, and my editor, Neelai Patel, uh, yeah. put a, a, the trailer for that movie, right, embedded it right into the column. It's fun to watch because it looks yeah. like a, a, a time machine. Little side note, I actually went to the DC premiere of that movie. Did you really? And I went with Steve Case. Of course. And Gene Case. Steve uh, was the head of AOL. And, I, and he was sitting right behind me. And I turned around and after 10 minutes. I said, this entire movie is a commercial for you. Yeah. And he goes, well, I don't think it goes far enough. I think it needed to have our 800 number on the, <laughs> on the popcorn boxes. <laughs> so, Yeah. So until people told us to shut up, then we couldn't talk anymore. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a, they fall in love. Yeah. But meanwhile, as I said in the end of the column, here's email being used as the channel for people falling in love, which would never happen today. And while the Tom Hanks is email wooing Meg Ryan, he's building a giant chain bookstore in Manhattan a few blocks away from her cozy little neighborhood children's bookshop which he drives out of business <laughs> so what happens in email and what happens in real life mm, i don't know so my theory the theory i put forward in this is that email has become like postal mail yeah it's it's the why is it not dead why do some people even think it's growing it's because of uh two things marketing uh which is overwhelming uh and i think uh some proportion of it is just plain spam and 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 scamming, and then bills and notices and other things that uh, constitute communication between you and the businesses you do business with. Your cable company, yeah, which we just dis discussed. Your bank, your utility company, your stockbroker, your lawyer, your accountant, your local government telling you that you've got a speeding ticket from, or you registration is coming up for renewal or something. This stuff, people use email for, and they're very proud of themselves. They think they're being very cool and digital. You're very unlikely, maybe this will happen someday, but you're very unlikely to see an ad for uh, an airline deal show up in your iMessage or show up in your Facebook Messenger stream. And I think you made this point uh, in something you wrote uh, this week too. Yeah. Uh, it's not likely to happen. Getting spam texts is not a thing that you want in your life. Right. But getting spam emails is just p part of doing business on email. Yeah. It's why people let that red email counter on whatever phone they're using or, or whatever uh, a tablet or, or laptop they're using, let it sometimes run into tens of thousands. They really don't want to go look at e emails. It's why there's a fierce 
you know, I pointed out that in the 90s and even into the early 2000s, there was a fierce competition among email services, Gmail, Hotmail, AOL Mail, Yahoo Mail. Yahoo Mail, I think, is still the biggest. Um, and I always liked Yahoo Mail. Now there's a competition among apps to try to control the mess of email. So that was what the column was basically about. Yeah. So I have a little bit of a disagreement with you, which is all right. Right at the end here, we're just gonna get we're just gonna get fired up. But there's one thing that all these new fangled services don't do, which is let you easily communicate outside of your organization. Mm-hmm. And so, like as a person, you know, like a regular in the consumer world. You know, I I can text my wife. I can text you. Like all the people that I have personal relationships to, these smaller services that feel much more personal. Well, your wife's not in your organization. Well, I know but, she wrote a great piece dissing you. No, but I, I loved it. But I'm saying as a consumer in, in my <laughs> yeah. personal life, all these services are great because you know you have these actual networks of friends, and you can use these more intimate services, and they're better than email for that. Right. I haven't emailed Becky anything other than like a link to a recipe in maybe a year, right? Like that's right. fine. Um, inside of your work, Slack is better, right? You can talk very quickly and intimately with people that you work with and you have a relationship with. The second you want to get out of that, email is better. It's just absolutely better than anything else. Um, so that's why, you know, as a consumer in your personal life, I think of email as the things you're describing, the bills from utility companies, the official correspondences from other people, like, all that stuff becomes email. That's fine. And marketing. Receipts and marketing, right? That is email because I don't want that stuff texted to me. I actually kind of want it in my email where it's searchable, it's safe, it looks formal. There's that. In my working life, the last thing I want to do is be able to drop into like – well, actually, as a reporter, I would love to drop into Apple Slack, but whatever. Um, yeah, the last thing would. I want to do is when I need to like arrange the seating at the next Apple event you know, like make sure, you know, we're showing up on time, we're doing all the stuff that we need to do. The last thing I want to do is have that happen in Slack. I want that to happen in email so that when the information comes to me and it's like formal, I can forward it. It doesn't look sloppy. But you know what? You're not doing it in email. You're doing it in Google Docs. That's where you're going to do the next. I guarantee you. No, inside the organization will plan it in Google Docs. But when I need to communicate outside, I still oh, want Apple. that to happen to in the email. Apple PR people. Yeah, when I, when yeah. I talk or whoever the hell it is. Like, Anytime you want I want to go talk, it. you want a real record. I want of it. a record. I want. I want that conversation. Is this because you don't believe the Apple PR? No, team I believe uses them. iMessage. I do. I mean, I <laughs> certainly I have iMessage with those people, and certainly we as reporters we iMessage with with all kinds of people all the time. I'm saying it's that's the breaking point to me. It's I, I, the I, second I your I relationship with a great source at Apple today, asking them what. How, whether they were trembling in their boots about the Galaxy S8. Sure, but I, but I'm saying to you, that's like a reporter. Like there, there's still like a you you in your capacity, they were serving as a reporter. I, I was. I, to, to, and, and being a good reporter requires some sort of you know personal relationship with a source. I'm saying the second I want to do work and I want to communicate with somebody outside of my organization, yes, I, I almost look, always want that to be an email. So you that and I think that falls in the twenty the eighty twenty I mentioned that yeah. still still falls. In the 20%, and maybe it's some small part of the reason email still exists, I think it's small. Yeah. I think the bigger part is marketing and these formal uh, kinds of communications. And let me also note that when you're doing that, or anything on email, it's dangerous in a way that, so far at least, to my knowledge, and I'm not certainly not a security expert, 
I am sure there's some way to break into your computer or to break into your network through communications of, of vectors that are not email. But the principal way that I'm aware of that people's networks are compromised, whether it's state actors doing it against Sony or uh, you know just, just Russian hackers doing it or somebody else doing it, is they send an email. And in that email, there's an image, there's a link, there's some kind of phishing or spear phishing or something that it just takes a click or an action and and you're dead. I mean, your, your network is compromised, your identity is stolen, whatever. Email is perilous to use. I don't think it can be said yet that, uh, you know, WhatsApp is perilous to use or iMessage is perilous to use. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think the great Slack hack of 2020 is coming one of these days. You know, like it it feels uh, – media organizations, other organizations – Oh, my God. To, they're all talking about – Can you about, imagine? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people at a lot of media organizations now who are thinking about Slack retention policy. Like every, you know, 30 days we're just going to delete the entire Slack archive mm-hmm. because it's such a risk to have years of informal conversation in a database. So that's what I mean. There's this point at which, and you know, obviously emails get hacked. It, it, it well, email the, gets hack, hacked every day. Yeah, every every hour. But I think there's there's a value to a correspondence that at least feels a little bit more formal than just chatting in a chat room. And so when you say email's not going away, it's changing. I think that it will become to all these other services. It will become the more formal. Well, that's what it is more formal. Yeah. If you ask my my kids, you know, who are grown but still quite young, in my mind at least, I did turn seventy this week. Uh, if you ask my kids what they think about email, I, I, I almost never get an email from them. They think of it like sitting down and writing a letter to grandma or something. You know what I mean? Like your parents would say, you have to write a thank you note to somebody. And it would ha- have to be written, and you would be not – in those days, you would rather just call somebody, let's say. Can't I call and thank? No, you have to write a written note. So I think email is kind of like that. Yeah, it's something. And, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But I, I, I suspect that it, it – it's also one of the few – I think Dieter would be very proud of me for mentioning this. It is one of the few things that is built on an interoperable standard that anyone can build a client for, and that – that means it's always going to have a base of innovation that is very uh, Yes or no. I mean, Gmail uses a weird forked version of IMAP, yeah. which, right? Am but I right? A, but there's a lot of new mail clients and for G- iOS that work just fine with Gmail. I understand. But they had to twist their it's, – it, it's not yeah. standard – it's not interoperable standards. It's interoperable, but it's – only interoperable because they had to conform to something Google decided to do when they built Gmail. And the next big mail service may decide to do something else. And, uh, you know, we had Pop. We still have Pop, but not much of it. Uh, we have IMAP. We have whatever Gmail is. Yeah. It's not either. And, uh, and yet it's big. Um, and it may be that somebody will design something else. So, yes, I get your point. I really get your point. I would I would just say even in a highly pri- pri- proprietary thing like iMessage, uh, you can still 
get, send and receive SMSs, uh, which is the most basic sort of texting thing that's run by the by the carriers. It's we all know the whole hassle of getting your phone number out of iMessage when you switch to an Android phone, but that's not an everyday occurrence. So if you're happy with iMessage, you're going to get your SMSs there. I think it's hard to figure this out with Google because they have, what, six messaging systems? But (laughs) uh, aren't they going to put everything in some newly shrunk down version of Hangouts? Isn't that the last thing I read? And I think well, that's SM- for the enterprise. Uh, well, okay, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And what about not the enterprise? No, it's going to be more than the enterprise. You're going to, you're going to. I read they're going to kill G Talk and and do Hangouts. Yeah. Even even on the side of Gmail in the web, right? Well, they, they they've already done that. But it's, right. it's like a we. It's good. I mean. We could do another hour, and I'd actually yeah. have to have Dieter come in and sit down and walk us through Google's current. Yeah, because I'm the only. I want person. you guys to all hear this in quotes. Google's messaging strategy. Yeah, um, <laughs> would, that's another hour of the show. I would. I would argue that Dieter actually knows more about it. Not that he approves <laughs> sure. of it. He doesn't approve of it, <laughs> yeah. but he knows more about it he than is. anyone at Google. He has certainly been. trying In to fact, we out should invite episode. Sundar to just listen. Uh, <laughs> Well, Teeter explains the mess, the giant mess. But the but the point is, one or more of their messaging services, like iMessage, does allow you to does capture SMSs. Yeah, uh, they have one that only does SMSs, I think. But they are, but one or the other of their super duper ones, and they're and they're proposing yet another standard that, as far as I know, no one uses. Yeah. Was it RCP? RCS. RCS. So I mean, you know, yeah, it's interoperable. Email is interoperable. Email is more interoperable than anything else that you've just described. You can be if you are, uh, and I'm sure many of our listeners have actually done this. If you are so motivated, you can go out in the world and buy a computer and turn it into an email server tomorrow. Right, and it, it will work. It will work with the email system that exists in the world. It will work with every other company's email system. You can send an email to anybody. They can send an email to you. There are few things that resilient and interoperable left in this right. world. And so it's a shame that it's kind of gone to hell. Yeah. Uh, but my but my very point is, it's not dead. Yeah. And and it's not dead. And by the way, watch this trailer. I mean, really. Yeah, it's, you got to go it's watch three the and a half minutes. Trailer. It's it's highly produced because the movie was highly produced. It's good actors, but it's just oh my god! I mean, we should have a viewing party. We should get Steve <laughs> Case to come in. Yeah, and we should all watch You've Got Mail together as, as, I know. as a group. That'd be kind of amazing. Be, all right, be, that's really that's it. We've been talking about doing merch for a year. We finally did it. Now we're gonna have movie nights. It's <laughs> our next. How do you do that on a podcast? Knows, I don't know. We'll what have to do? I'm assuming Google makes a messaging app that lets you do. Oh, actually, they do. Oh my God, they do. Yeah, they do. They do. There's. They put out a new one at South by that lets you watch YouTube movies with people and send messages. Okay. You mean that's not Duo? <laughs> no, it's another one. I forget what it's called. But Dieter and I were playing with it. At I thought South Duo by was FaceTime. No, the Duo is FaceTime, but there's one. <laughs> Uh, I'm just gonna figure it out what it's called. I don't, don't look it up. It's better as a mystery. <laughs> but it's it's very true. So it's we could there. do a giant. Are you saying we could do a giant viewing? Has anyone ever done this? A giant viewing of a movie if we get the rights, and have Steve Case there commenting. We could, it's called uptime. 
Okay, but listen to me. Yeah. Could we do a giant viewing of the 1998 classic, 73% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, Top Critics, You've Got Mail. Yeah. And have Steve Case, just like in the theater, because I was there in 1998 sitting one row in front of him, just have Steve Case comment. Yeah, we could probably pull that off. I'll, I'll go work on it. I'll go send. I'll, I'm gonna go send some emails. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. I, that's how I'm gonna make that happen. If we make it happen. All right. <laughs> All right. I think we're we're actually a little bit over time. This is a, a lot of news on this. A lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff to talk about. Um, but that's it for this week. A lot of mocking. Um, we uh, tomorrow on the Vergecast we'll actually have Dieter and Dan who have spent hours and hours and hours with phone. So listen to that. Um, that's the Vergecast. Uh, Kara Swisher has Recode Decode, which is wonderful. Uh, Peter Kafka has Recode Media, which is, I'm a media nerd, so one of my favorites. And Lauren Good, the ever-talented Lauren Good, has Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is also wonderful. I'm sure she's going to engage. Oh, no, no, no. She's having Dan on that show. Oh, she's having Dan on that show. I was going to say, I'm sure. talk about the phone, and she was soliciting questions on Twitter. There you go. Do you want to know what my question was? What's your question? How much kimchi did Dan consume while he was in <laughs> yeah, Korea? Exactly. I Perfect. demand that she ask that question. Uh, I'm sure it was a lot. If I know Dan, um, the man, li- yeah, man, man likes good food. Uh, anyway, so lots of stuff to listen to, um, if, especially if you're interested in this phone. The Vergecast to Bear Sass will be focused on it, and uh, tweet at us. I love getting intros. I'm getting a lot of good ones lately. I'm at Reckless. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. Go on iTunes.com/slash/verge. Find all our shows. Leave us good reviews. Send us emails. For for God's sake, yeah, for all this, you got to send us some and emails. Nobody sends us. No, nobody sends. I got one email. It's good. Uh, and we'll be back next week. That was a really fun episode. Thanks a lot, Walt. Thanks a lot, Nina. You know.